The nectar of thy words, the life for those who are scorched by the world, the words which have been uttered by the knowers of truth, which wipe out sins, the very hearing of which is beneficial, which are beautiful, pleasing to the ears, pleasing to the hearts, which are inexhaustible. Those who recount them on the earth are the givers of plenty. Om Shantihi, Shantihi, Shantihi. Peace, 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 beautiful. In our last class, we talked about reminiscences of Shami Vivekananda by Mrs. Alice Hansborough, who was the secretary of Swamiji during his second visit in California. As I told you that in 1941, Swami Ashokananda, head of the Vedanta Society of Southern Northern California, interviewed this woman, she was then 75 years old, and collected her reminiscences. And those reminiscences are recorded by Cliff Clinton. Clifton. He was the, later on he became a Swami, Swami Chidruparananda, and president of the San Francisco Center. He recorded it and those reminiscences are typed, 84 pages, which I got in, I think, 2005 or six. Then we revised it, edited it, and printed it in the Prabhupada Varada that you are seeing. As I told you last time, that we want to <coughs> see Swami Vivekananda's personal life. We read his lectures, so we know some parts of his biography. But actually, this person, to me, is a wonder, Bishai. What does it mean by Bishai? When we see Taj Mahal, we see it is a wonder. This great wall of China, is it so big? Is it possible to make this such thing by human beings? Pyramid, Colosseum in Rome, Hanging Garden of Babylon. These we call the great wonders of the world. Wonders. Show me Vivekananda. Before he was born, Sri Ramakrishna had a vision. He, through his vision, he went to that Shaptur Shimandam, where the seven sages are immersed in Samadhi. 
So Sri Ramakrishna went and embraced one of the sages and said, I am going to the world. You will have to come with me. The sage opened his eyes and gave it nod that yes, I will come. Shumi Vivekananda's mother prayed to Lord Dirishwa Shiva in Bernaras. Lord, give me a son. So Vivekananda was was born out of prayer. As you know, it was in British India. His father was a famous attorney and got English education, which taught him, do not accept anything without evidence. Proof. I want to know the truth. He has a passion to know the truth. Extremely truthful. He will never compromise with the truth. Then, he did not like Hinduism. So many superstitions. He did not care for child marriage. There are various things of Hinduism he did not like. So what did he do? He joined with Brahma Samaj. A socio-religious movement in India. In Punjab, there is an Arja Samaj. In Bengal, Brahma Samaj. These groups are trying to protect India from conversion. The Christian missionaries were trying to convert the Hindus. So Swamiji joined with Brahma Samaj. Brahma Samaj believes God has no form, but with full of divine qualities, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. That is the concept of the Christian concept of God, the same. God has no form, but God has all qualities, all powerful, all merciful, creator, all these powers God has. Second, He did not believe the Guru Bad. Guru is necessary. Third, he did not believe the Avatar Bad, God descends. He did not believe John Mantra Bad, theory of reincarnation. He did not believe Advaita Bad. Non-dualism of Vedanta, that he taught in Vedanta, in America. He did not believe all such things, because he was a Brahman. And that man was converted by Sri Ramakrishna. And presented Hinduism, Vedanta at the Parliament of Religions. He fought with his guru for seven years, six years. He told Nivedita, I fought with my guru for six years. As a result, I know every inch of the way. Then what happened? His father died. 
His family was in a very bad financial condition. In home, his mother, his sisters, and brothers, they are all starving. His father has a huge debt. He spent more money than he income. They earned. What happened? He couldn't get a job. At that time, he was a graduate. In British India, if you are graduate, at least you will get a deputy magistrate post. He was a school headmaster for three months in Vidyashagur's school, lost his job. Came to Sri Ramakrishna, Master. I know this Kali, the Divine Mother, listen to you. Why don't you pray to the Mother for me? I cannot bear to see my mother starving, brother, sisters are starving. Sri Ramakrishna I pray to the mother, but mother says that you do not believe in her, so he cannot, she cannot do anything for you. Sir, you will have to do something for me. All right, today is Tuesday, auspicious day. Today you go to the mother in the temple, in Dakshineshwar. Whatever you will ask, she will give to you. Have a blank check. Samaji knew that Sri Ramakrishna is a Shatta Shankalpa Mahapurush, man of truth. Only truth comes from his lips. He went in the evening, went to the, saw the Divine Mother, he forgot. He prayed only five things. Mother, give me knowledge, give me devotion, give me Gyanda, Bhakti Dao, Vivek Dao, Discrimination, Pairagya Dao, Renunciation, and Abad Darshan Dao, Uninterrupted Vision. Knowledge, devotion, discrimination, renunciation, and vision. These five things he, he prayed. <coughs> Came back. Did you, could you ask money from the mother? No. Silly boy, go back again. Again he went, prayed the same thing, came back, could you pray? No. Go again. Three times he went and he could not ask for money. Paid. Sir, you did something. That is the reason I could not pray. You will have to do something for me. When I gave you chances. When he pestered. All right, by the grace of the mother, your family will never suffer from food, plain food, and plain clothing. But that is a single blessing Sri Ramakrishna gave to Vivekananda. Your family will never suffer from plain food and clothing. Some Vivekananda later believed in. Advaita, non-dualism. That he preached in America. Vedanta. Sri Ramakrishna did not scold him. He did not force him. He did not frighten him. But he changed this man through love 
and through giving him experience. How did you give experience? Sriram Shamaji was criticizing, yeah. Vedanta, everything is Brahman. So God Brahma pots and pans and cooking pot, all these are Brahman. That Swamiji was fighting. Kigo, Sri Ramakrishna came and pushed him with, the, with his fingers. Yes. He came home. He was intoxicated. He saw mother's, his mother served food, rice, consciousness. He looked at his mother, consciousness. Then he went to the street. He saw cars are coming on the Cornwallis street. Their consciousness. Then he went to the lake next to their home and bumped his head on the on the railing with the consciousness. He realized this Vedantic experience of non-dual consciousness is true. That Vivekananda was transformed. Christopher Isharu's major remark. When a man like Vivekananda changes, the whole 19th century changed. The whole Western world changed. Because Vivekananda is the representative of the Western education and Western culture. That is a brief introduction of Vivekananda. Now we shall see some I told last time, and now the remaining part I shall try to finish. Swami Ashokarananda was asking questions to Mrs. Hans Baru. Did you ever see Swamiji in any, any specially exalted mood? No, not particularly. Though sometimes when he had talked for some time, the air would become surcharged with a spiritual atmosphere. There was one occasion in particular, we had gone to the hill near our home where we used to have the picnics. Swamiji became absorbed in some subject he was discussing and he talked for six hours without interruption <laughs> from 10 in the morning until 4 in the afternoon the air was just vibrant with his spirituality by the time it was over think of that that place I went to see where Swamiji had the picnics in Pasajena South Pasajena He could create an atmosphere. You see, we talk about religion, religion, religion. This is called true religion. Under that atmosphere, who will come will be surcharged. You cannot help it. And another time in Alameda, I was upset or depressed about something, and he said to me, Come, sit down, and we will meditate. Oh, I never meditate, Swami. I told him, well, come and sit by me, and I will meditate. He replied, so I sat down and closed my eyes. In a moment, I felt as though I were going to float away, and I quickly opened my eyes to look at Swamiji. He had the appearance of a statue, as though there were not a spark of life in his body. He must have meditated for 15 or 20 minutes and then opened his eyes again. That is Swamiji. Do you know what Sri Ramakrishna said about him? Narendra Dhanshiddha Mahapurush. He is a great soul, perfect in meditation. Swamiji's mind does not go 80%, 90%. He 
it goes 100%. When the mind goes 100%, it has a tremendous power. He can change anything he likes. Mr. Swansborough mentioned that Swamiji had a tremendous problem in Alameda and San Francisco when he was living in the home of truth. Home of truth developed in the United States. There is a group came out from this Christian science and Miss Baker Eji, who started the Christian science. So it is a part of that group. They are vegetarian, they meditate and they think about body and consciousness and all those things. So Swamiji was staying there. About adjustment, he said, you know, I lived with Mr. Colville. He was a spiritualist. If a person can live with him, he can live with anybody in this world. Swami Abedananda was the president of the Vedanta Society of New York, but he had a friction with Mr. Leggett. So the American Jesavyabhuti said, Swamiji, to intervene. Swamiji said, no, I give freedom. Only dream of <coughs> two things are very important in human life, love and freedom. These are the two conditions of growth. If you do not love people and give freedom, that person will never grow. Swamiji is mentioned. You know, sometimes Guru ruins the disciples' life, all the time protecting under the wings. No, disciple must go, move, be free. That is the way Swamiji is trained. You see, if you do not allow your children to learn how to drive, you will be the chauffeur all through your life to your children. You will have to train them, learn how to drive. Sanjay, March 30, 1941. Tell me, what are the audience of Swamiji on Sundays when he used to lecture in San Francisco? There was, there was some conversation. His Sunday morning audience usually ran from five to six hundred people, Mrs. Hansborough said. At evening lecture, there are not so many, but usually he did not lecture in the evening on Sunday. And classes? The Swami asked. Class audience averaged from 150 to 200, which was not bad considering that there was a charge of 50 cents for each class. So three classes, one set, one series of class, three classes, one dollar fifty cents. Somebody asked him, you know, that Swamiji, you talk about renunciation, monks do not touch money, all these things, but you know, they charge in the, for the lecture. <laughs> Swamiji smiled, said, Madam, if the rule does not suit me, I change the rule. <laughs> I need some money for my poor people in India.
what they used to do, Sanjay lecture they used to keep free, attract people. Then when the classes comes, they used to charge. But Mrs. Max McLeod said, no, 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 Sanjay lecture we must charge. So one dollar. Seven hundred dollars, you know, in one lecture. Swamiji used to give lecture when we were the lecture bureau. In one lecture, he used to make $2,700. He was very famous. But the lecture bureau cheated him, gave him only $250. Then one senator in Michigan found, became close to Swamiji, saw that Swamiji was cheated. Swamiji severed that contract and protected Swamiji from that lecture bureau. Oof, they exploited, exploited, used him. One, <laughs> once after we moved to Turkey Street flat, a woman said something to Swamiji about his teaching religion. He looked at her and replied, Madam, I am not teaching religion. I am selling my brain for money to help my poor people. If you get some benefit from it, that is good, but I am not teaching religion. (coughs) (coughs) Mrs. Hansborough says, at that time in America, the New Thought Movement. You see, you will have to understand, America is a new nation. It is very difficult to teach religion in Europe. Why? They mostly are Catholics. Italy, Spain, Portugal, France, Germany, quite a bit of Protestants there. Then Belgium, this all Catholics, Catholics, Catholics. It is very difficult to penetrate. In America, majority Protestants, not Catholic. They're more open than Catholics, very rigid. <laughs> New thought. In Washington Hall in, in, in San Francisco, Swamiji gave a lecture and said, it was 150 people. Swamiji was not very happy. And he spoke on the ideal of a universal religion. It is a famous lecture. Swami Ashokananda explained. We charged one dollar per person. I was saying, and one hundred came at each dollar. Well, that shows that there was real interest. How did Swamiji come from Los Angeles? Did he come by alone? Yes, he came alone by by train, and in, he first came in Oakland, home of truth, and he talked about then he talked about Unitarian Church in Oakland. But he she went to Benjamin. What is his name? Benjamin Femils. He, he was the 
he was the minister of the Oakland Church. Like, why don't you announce that Swami Vivekananda will lecture in your podium? He declined. Because he was in th- Parliament of Religions in Chicago, he saw Swamiji's popularity. If he announces, all people will move to Swamiji and nobody will come to his church, so his, his business will fail. <laughs> he was a businessman, come, come minister, Unitarian minister. <laughs> but she, he mentioned, when I listened to that man, this man altered my life. And he later became a Unitarian. Yet, in spite of the saying this about Swamiji, when I went to see him while he was lecturing in Metropolitan Temple to ask if he would announce a course of lecture by Swami Vivekananda, he refused. Sometimes this man used to put an ad. Such and such person came, so many people could not get in the hall and had to, you know, they had to leave. That is the way the, he, the, he used to... It is the truth! <coughs> that is the way he used to make advertisement and attract people. Swamiji hated it. You see, Swamiji said, I believe in American man, American woman, but I do not believe in any American clergyman. <laughs> that Swamiji said. I believe American man, American woman, but not American clergyman. <laughs> At that time there was a dollar gold coin, and Mrs. Hansborough, whatever collection, she used to put some pots, you know. <laughs> then he met Alice P. Huntington, Mrs. Huntington. You will have to understand, this woman gave Swamiji $6,000 for the girls' education in India. Do you know who is this Huntington? This, her husband, the railroad, that all the wooden planks you see under the line, this she used to supply and became millionaire, multi-millionaire, very rich person. in Pasadena, Huntington. The Huntington Library is there in Pasadena, museum is there. <laughs> One woman told someone that she did not like Shami Vivekananda because of the thin little woman who was always running along behind him with the black case. It was I. <laughs> and, the bla- and the black case held by notebooks, advertising matter and other things connected with the work and the collections. Once Shamaji and I stopped in a market to do something shopping and when we had gone out I discovered I had left the case. I said, just a minute, I forgot something and rushed back there was the case sitting on the corner, each had three hundred dollars in it. And he was talking about in Home of Truth, how Shamaji lived. <clears throat> he was not very comfortable with that people. 
One day he talked a great deal about Sri Ramakrishna. You see, in America, Swamiji gave only one lecture on his guru. That was, I think, 24th February 1896 in New York. My Master, that was the name of the lecture. And another lecture, same lecture he gave in Wimbledon in England. Those two lectures are combined and came in the complete words as my master. He talked about Vedanta, universal religion. He said, when he was in Lahore, in Punjab, in 1897, there was a Brahma, what is called Arja Samajist, Lala Hongsharaj. He said, Swamiji, you have the power. Why don't you teach you, preach your guru? But I am the last person who will do that. I shall never preach the personality. It spreads fast, it dies fast. I preach the principle, the eternal principle of the Upanishads. They are eternal. You see, personality card, hey, is a guru, a baba, a yogi got up, when he dies, boom, he's gone. Swamiji never knew how the personality spreads fast, like a bonfire, like a hay fire, and it dies fast. But the big piece of wood, it takes time to ignite, and when it ignites, it just stays long, long hours. Swamiji taught the principle, Vedanta, universal religion. Somebody says in Calcutta, why don't you preach him? But then the American people say, what are you talking about? We have Jesus, I don't need Ramakrishna. <laughs> Samaji told two funny, interesting stories. He said that, do you know what, those who I initiated and those who I came under my fold, looks what Samaji told Mrs. Hansborough. The, the, he told, I remember, because Two stories which he said were his masters. I remember because he directed them to at me. Mrs. Hansborough is talking about. The first was the story of an old water demon <coughs> who lived in a pool. She had long hair, which was capable of infinite <coughs> extension. When people would come to bathe in the pool, sometimes she would devour them if she was hungry. With others, however, she would twine a hair around one of their toes. When they went home, the hair, invisible, would just stretch and stretch. And when the old demon became hungry, she would just start pulling on the hair until the victim came back to the pond once more to be eaten up. Funny story. You have bathed in the pool where my mother mother dwells. Swamiji said to me at the end, go back home if you wish, but her hair is twinned round your toe and you will have to come back to the pool in the end. The other story was of a man who was wading down a stream. Suddenly, he was bitten by a snake. <coughs> he looked down and thought the snake was a harmless water snake <coughs> and that he was safe. Actually, it was a cobra. Swamiji then said to me, 
you have been beaten by the cobra don't ever think you can escape what shamji was saying you see those who have touched ramkrishna touched them i shamji says i touched them they are safe and secure god will protect them as you know that sri ramkrishna's parable if a water snake bites you yeah, it may bleed a little bit but you will not die but if a cobra hisses you that poison will work you are bound to be dead so this when ramkrishna and vivekananda touch bus you will be liberated you shami asking that you know did shami talk in a loud tone or quietly no he talked in a low tone of voice mrs hansbaru said even in private conversation he was always a calm man except when he was giving someone a dressing down eh? someone a dressing down this he never did to helen or kakadi one her two sisters the only time i ever saw him got get excited when the missionary woman called him a liar he used to talk often to my nephew ralph when he was in home ralph shamiji used to smoke ralph tobacco he would run shamiji's room he was 17 years old young boy bring the cigarette ralph can you see your own eyes no shamiji was telling god is so near to us but we do not see why shami ji ralph can you see your own eyes no yes but i can see if there is a mirror i can see my eyes ralph, that is the answer you need a pure mind which is free from desires and doubts immediately you will see the glimpses of the atman God with it. You know, Samaji did not bring philosophy. Samaji did not bring quote, did not quote these scriptures, but used the simple common sense to convince this young American boy that how to see God. How to see God? <coughs> Mister. Hans, Mrs. Hans Baru said, "My daughter, Dorothy, four years old. Shamiji one day came, one day said, 'Dorothy, come near me.' Shamiji was seated in a couch. This little girl came near Shamiji's knees. Shamiji put his two hands on her head and kept quiet for some time." And other, there are other sisters are there. Mrs. Onsbaros. Then he asked Ralph, "Ralph, come here." Ralph was seventeen years old, knelt down. Shamji put his two hands on his head, 
she thinks Shamiji baptized my my daughter and my nephew. Later on, when Dorothy I heard from a devotee in Los Angeles who knew Dorothy. She was a nurse of Swami Prabhupada in the 1930s. She is a devotee. I interviewed her and I recorded her voice in my tape, on my tape. She said, one day I said, Dorothy, you are a restless girl, you are running around. Sit down, meditate. Oh, no, no, you people meditate. I'm not that meditate. I sat on Swamiji's lap. I don't need any meditation. <laughs> because, do you know what? She lost her father. So Swamiji was her father figure. How Swamiji loved these American people and made them their own, made them his own. It is love which works. Did Swamiji give any interviews to any newspapers while he was in Los Angeles? Swami Ashokarananda asked. Yes, there was an interview published under the title A Prince from India. It appeared in some paper, probably a weekly, the name of which I have forgotten. I may be able to get the name of it from Mrs. John Smith, the doctor's wife, who was our first president in Los Angeles. Still, is she is still living there. One day while we were in San Francisco, I finally decided that I was going back to Los Angeles. I chose the day and had all my bags packed, ready to leave for the train. All at once, I heard a voice say, you can't go. You might just as well not try. And for some reason, I became completely exhausted, so exhausted that I had to lie down on the floor. I thought of getting some food, but I could not move. And I could not bear to look at this suitcase. So I had to make up my mind not to go. Did Swamiji say anything to you? Swamiji Ashokarananda asked. No, he said nothing. I don't know who was the voice I heard speaking to me. You know, some divine being possessed. If you are deeply spiritual, you will feel that you are possessed, like that. Sunday, April 6, 1941, Golden Gate Park. Swamiji was staying on the Turk Street in a flat. Swamiji's room on the second floor, about the bathtub. Mm-hmm. Rent was $40 per month. Bathtub built in of zinc. Porcelain tubs are still not in the not in, in use elsewhere. 
and I had to go over the car, chop carefully over every day with a stone they called a bath brick. I think there was not shower at that time. I'm talking about 1900. So in the bathtub, they fill up the water and then bathe there. And she was rubbing that zinc bathtub so that Swamiji can bathe. <laughs> so she, three times a day, she still, Swamiji said, it is not clean enough. Swamiji, I'm sorry to tell you, then you'll have to go without bath. <laughs> Samaji sometimes used to cook some curries, especially chapatis, and Ralph and Dorothy were <laughs> fond of Samaji's cooking. <laughs> then she used to sit on the floor and make spices, you know. Nowadays you have all powder spices available. At that time you will have to grind the powder, you know, spices. One day during the ceremony we were talking about his health. Someone suggested that he had a weak heart. There is nothing wrong with your heart, I told him. If you mean that, he answered, I have the, I have the heart of a lion. Swami's <laughs> routine in San Francisco has been discussed. Swamiji never took food before lecture. Because, because he said that slows down my my speed and voice. If my stomach is full, I cannot project my energy. So he always ate after the lecture. <laughs> he was telling Mr. Rujbas, you know, because the home of truth, all are vegetarians. Look, we potato and yes, asparagus cannot give you strength. I need meat. <laughs> potato and asparagus can give you Swamiji always sat cross-legged on the couch in front of the parlour. The one of the men came with a tight jean, you know, jean or jam cloth, and he was trying to sit on the on the on the on the floor like this. Swamiji, you are a foolish person. Come, come, come here. Sit next to me on the couch. He has a strong common sense and feeling for others. <coughs> Sometimes on these dark street classes, Swamiji could be very sharp. Once when he was talking about renunciation, and woman asked him, Well, Swamiji, what would become of the world if everyone renounced? His answer was, Madam, why do you come to me with that lie on your lips? You have never considered anything of this in this world but your own pleasure. He told us at another time of a woman in Chicago who had asked him after a class of lecture or lecture, Swami, do you hate all women? It revealed a characteristic of many of his questions. 
that they <clears throat> identified themselves with their question, but caused the question in general terms. I don't remember what Swamiji's answer was, but I remember once in Interfaith Council, a, minister, a religious leader was asked, you know, if everybody becomes monk, what will happen? There will be no more human beings in this, in this world. I said, you know, don't worry for that. <laughs> we don't worry for that. You produce as many children you like. <laughs> and I need some monks. Please send a couple. <laughs> he said, you know, <laughs> who wants to renounce? The question is that everybody become monks, then there will be no human population in this world. I come, you will not have to worry for that. Some people are too. <laughs> are ready to produce children. Because somebody is telling, you know, that suppose wife got renunciation and came to Shamaji's disciple, so somebody says, hey, Vivekananda has come to break the families. Samaji, you know, at that time, how he had to face all these people? Samaji mentioned about family life, how important it is. Good family, bring good children, brings steady society. I always see, you know, in the Indian system, Brahmacharya, Banagriyasthu, Banaprastha, Sannasa, four stations of life. Brahmacharya, 1 to 25, student's life, 25 to 50, householder's life, family life, children, money, all these things. Then 25, 50 to 75, retired life, and 75 to 100, Monastic life. That is the way Indian, that the Chotur Borgo, Brahman, has been set up, family life. Swamiji said that householder's life is very, very important. Among these four groups of people, only householders earn money. Students do not earn money, retired person doesn't earn money, monks do not earn money. Whole society, the economic setup is managed by the householder. <coughs> if householder's life is shaky, the whole society is shaky. That is happening now in America. For divorce, broken home, children. Whole society is shaky. Fifty percent marriage ends in divorce. That he was talking about. Family life is very, very important. Did Swamiji ever scold you? Swami Ashokarananda asked. Oh yes, often. He was constantly finding fault and sometimes could be very rough. Mother brings me fools to work with, he would say, or I have to associate with fools. This was a favorite word in his vocabulary of scolding. And though he himself said, I never apologize, he would never, the less, come after the scolding was over to, was scolding was over to find me and say in a voice so gentle that was a manner 
so cool that butter and honey would not melt in his mouth. What are you doing? It was clear that he was seeking to make amends for the scolding. He used to say, the people I love most, I scold most. And I remember thinking he was making a poor kind of apology. <laughs> it happened in Brooklyn. Swamiji was scolding Sister Waldo. Then one day Waldo said to Swamiji, Swamiji, perhaps I am not the right person to serve you. Helen, what does it mean? Well, you are very upset, you scolded me. Of course, I know you. I do not know the people in the audience. I do not know any of them, so I cannot scold them. <laughs> <laughs> I know you, so I shall scold you. The person I love, I scold. You know, this shows this human aspect. Very human. When there is a pent up, you know, some kind of. He wants to release the things. Of course, is a yogi. But you see, our Swami in Portland, Swami, Swami Asheshananda, he used to call scourges, devotees, right and left. And all people would come to get his scolding. And when he stopped scolding, hey, Swami will die soon. Swami will leave this world. Swami is not scolding anymore. It is a great money anxiety for the Jabuji. Swami is not scolding. <laughs> that means he will depart from this world soon. They have demanded a scolding. I asked one Swami, one Jabuji, why don't you, I say so sweet words, if you don't just stay with me, you go and get Swami Ankarananda, this scolding. Maharaj, his scolding is a boon, you do not know. He is destroying my past karma through scolding. <laughs> so I go to him <laughs> just to get some scolding. <laughs> but nowadays those days are gone. If I scold you, you'll say goodbye. <laughs> that is the reason why I don't need to scold. I shall lose my worker. <laughs> will work. If I scold, they will leave me. Oh, you are not a good man, I shall not stay with you. I told you that when I, after training center, when I went to see that Swami Ankaranandaji, he was asking me, Uncle Maharaj, my training is over, I have come to see you. Your training is over? Did anybody beat you with shoes? Uncle, no, then you are not trained. <laughs> that means you must, your ego should be shattered. Did anybody, Jutu Merece? Did anybody beat you with shoes? <laughs> no. Then you are not trained yet. <laughs> oh no, nowadays scolding is disappearing. Do you know what that means? It means those scolding sometimes. A holy man's scolding has a reason. He wants to take your karma or something, ego, they will smash your ego. I remember a story of Swami Bhikyananda, he was in Madras. So a woman came with all makeup, with vanity bag in hand. And many people are seated in the audience. Swami, give me, give us some advice. 
Swami Bhikkhananda was a Nwara Brahman. He can see what is inside him. Madam, you want advice? Well, yes. Eat well, sleep well, and quarrel well. <laughs> like that woman was embarrassed in front of everybody. She took her bag and left the, <laughs> left the hall. But do you know how did I look at it? This woman perhaps is a quarrelsome person. So he, next time, whenever he will, she will try to quarrel, she will remember. That person told me, quarrel well. That way she will get rid of that habit. Sometimes a scolding can change your life. Eat well, sleep well, quarrel well. Left. Shamaji's appreciation. Madam. You work like devils sometimes. Mani bhutir moto khata. Mani they do not know why, why it is tiredness. That was Shamaji's appreciation. Once while you were in Tark Street <coughs> flat, I questioned something about the way Shamaji was handling the work. He didn't answer, but simply said, within ten years of my death, I'll be worshipped as a god. Actually it happened. In San Francisco, one day he told Madam, I'll have to be born again. Why, Swamiji? I fell in love with human beings. I love human beings, so I'll have to be born again. I'm a free soul, no desire. Only one desire I have, I want to do good to humanity. No personal motive. This he mentioned in Buddhistic India lecture in Pasadena, Shakespeare Club. You are a, Shamiji is a scolding. You are a silly, brainless fool. That is what you are. <laughs> Never mind, Mrs. Spineless Swami, if you not go. <laughs> I have some letters of Edith Allen. Her husband was a great devotee of Swamiji. Swamiji is supposed to speak in, in San Francisco. He was late, nearly half an hour. So they are all waiting, waiting, waiting. Then Swamiji was coming with his to the lecture hall. Then he found a shoe shiner. So he started, hey, shine my shoes. <laughs> then Mr. Allen came and said, Swamiji, people are waiting. Well, let them wait. Then he said, Swamiji, your time is over. Mr. Allen, 
you live in time, but we live in eternity. But that is all right, Swami, for your purpose, but my audience is upset <laughs> that you cross the time. Then Swamiji came. Mr. Allen, until I go there, there will be no fun. So they will wait. <laughs> Sometimes they test others' patience, whether they have genuine hunger for God or not. They test in various ways. When he was introducing Swamiji, he saw that Swamiji is 40 feet tall. He could not bear Swamiji's that gigantic look. Very beautiful reminiscences of Alan. Mr. Logan came and he became the president of the Vedanta Society of San Francisco. <coughs> then he would talk about Camp Taylor and Camp Arbeam. I went there a few times. It is on the way to, it is in Marin County. You'll have to cross the Golden Gate Bridge and then when you go to Olima on the way. Still that place is there. Some years ago Prabhupadanandaji arranged that all people should come, bus, packed bus, you know, from Ulima. They came and batch by batch they came and see the importance of that place where Swamiji stayed two weeks camping there. <coughs> Camp Taylor from Alameda, Swamiji went, stayed two weeks. At night, There is a stream there and there is a sandbank. He used to make fire there, on, sitting on the sandbank, and all these 10 or 12 people are there, American. They sat there, crossed around the fire, and Swamiji used to talk. Campfire. It is unthinkable that those who live with Swamiji and, and stayed with him and one day Mrs. Hansborough was supposed to cook some stew for Swamiji, soup, and he forgot money, he was doing something and he could not finish it. Then Swamiji peeped in the, in the kitchen, there's all changed, the kitchen changed. Swamiji said, Mr. Sonsbaru, will you not come to the meditation class? No, Swamiji. I shall have to pay for my laziness. I could not finish that soup. Swamiji looked at me and said, Madam, you cook. I shall meditate for you. But the whole time I was in the kitchen, I, I felt Swamiji was meditating for me. You know, it happened in New York, in Bibikaranda Cottage in Risley. Mrs. Leggett made two beds. 
In the morning, Mrs. Leggett came back and said, Turiyananda's bed is on the floor. Mrs. Leggett said, Swami, is there anything wrong? No. Then why is your bed on the, on the floor? I cannot sleep in the same level with Swamiji. Then, when he came to San Francisco, Swami, Turiyananda, Swamiji eulogized him. I only spoke, you saw the Kshatriya power, I am a Kshatriya. But I shall show you a person who is a real Brahmin, nor a Brahman. He will demonstrate you what I taught. That is Swami Turiyananda. So when Turiyananda came to San Francisco, all the American devotees are telling Swamiji, eulogized so much about you. Please don't compare me with Swamiji. Swamiji is an Atlantic liner. He can carry thousands of people across the ocean. I'm a small boat. I can carry only two, three persons. You know how the disciples of Ramakrishna had love, respect for the for Swamiji. That is the reason Sturiyananda used to say the Chandra. Chandra, moon, is only one. There cannot be two moons. I remember when we were little children, we had to taught numbers. Eko Chandra, Dwiye Pokho, Tine Netro, and moon is one, the fortnights are two, three are the eyes, four are the Vedas, five are the arrows, six are the seasons, seven are the oceans, Eight is the bushes, nine is the nine planets, and also the tenth sides. That is the way we used to learn one agduitin through two through words. We used to memorize this word. Ake Ake Chandra Dwiye Pokko Tine Netro Chari Beth Panchoban Chairitu Shatsamudra Ashtabosu Navagro Tosdik. When you are one grade, two grades, that is the way we have to memorize these wordings. That is the way we learn the, the numbers. Anyhow, <coughs> Swamiji is a question. Moon, one, seconds. There Swamiji taught meditation. Did you ever seek any amusement, for example? Did you ever go to a theatre? He went to the theatre once in Los Angeles to a play, but he generally speaking, he never sought entertainment, such as playing cards. He did enjoy going out to dinner. He went out to dinner several times with Mr. Nielsen, the artist who also looked Swamiji to an exhibition of his paintings in the Hopkins Art Gallery, where the Hotel Mark Hopkins now stands in the Knob Hill. Once Swamiji was, Swamiji used to go sometimes in the China market. He loved the Chinese people. While passing through the market, seeing his strange dress, some people are making some remark. But Mrs. Hansborough was with him. Swamiji is overhearing that what they are talking about. Then when he came back to the, to the to the to the 
apartment, Shamaji said, Madam, today you saved me. Otherwise, these people would hurt me. You see, sometimes, I noticed it in Midwest. If you, an American woman is with you, the other people are watching you. The very conservative people. That means he is all right, he's normal. You know, an American woman is with him. I remember in the early period when I used to go to the doctor's office, this and that, some American devotees, you know, used to drive me. I noticed it. it is very that means he is okay. Otherwise, they will doubt you. They will throw stones on you. May 4, 1941. Well, how long would you meditate? Very long? No, I should say 15 minutes before the class. Or half an hour. I remember one class particularly when we are in the Turkey Street flat. Did Swamiji ever rest during the daytime while he was in Turkey Street flat? Samashukanda, yes. When he did not have any lecture or some engagement in the afternoon, he took a nap after lunch every day. He would sleep for about two hours. How was Swamiji's voice, Swami Ashokanda inquired? Was it powerful voice? No, it was not a powerful voice, but it had great depth. The manager of Washington Hall in San Francisco once told me he had never heard so sweet a voice. What is the usual routine of Swamiji's day and Camp Taylor? We usually have breakfast sometimes between 7.30 and 8. Then about 10 or 10.30, Swamiji would hold a meditation which took place in B. Miss Bell's tent, as he had requested it. We are located about a mile upstream from the old hotel, in a quiet, wine-windless spot on the east side of the stream called June Camp. The railroad ran by on the opposite bank. Mr. Zul was an admirer of Miss Bell and had arranged the location for us. We had seven tents, one for Swamiji and one each for Mrs. Spinal, Miss Bell, Miss Ansel, and Mrs. Rudbudge. A Miss Ansel is I. Ansel. So he is a stenographer of Swamiji. Through her, we get several lectures of Swamiji. Her stenographic notebooks are still with me. Her diary, a Mrs. An- Miss Ansel, she lived in Hollywood Center, died there. In 1950s, she went through her shortened books and made some lectures, which she recorded. Those things came first in the Vedanta and the West magazine, then 
we took it in the complete verse. Love never faileth, Swamiji told us. After two weeks there, Swamiji returned to San Francisco in mid-May 1900 and was the guest of Dr. Logan for a time. I stayed with a brother-in-law of mine, Jack Hounsborough, for about three days. Then I returned to Los Angeles. <coughs> then Swamiji went to Chicago, Detroit, New York, then London, Paris, then Constantinople, all Austria, Vienna, all eastern part of Europe, then Egypt. From Egypt, he returned to India in December 1900. I shall tell you one incident what happened in Chicago. Swamiji was in the Hill House. Mary Hill, Swamiji used to consider her as a sister. She made bed for Swamiji and left. In morning she came and found Swamiji was near the window and looking at outside. And he saw the bed was untouched. Swamiji, did you not go to bed last night? He looked at her and do you know what she said? No, I was just thinking how difficult it is to cut a human bond. How difficult it is to cut human bond. Swamiji knew that this is, I shall not live very long. Within two years I shall die. And these people will never see me. And I love these people. Now I have to sever all my bond, all my connection with these people. He's very human, extremely human. Swamiji was very fond of health sisters. One day Swamiji said, you know, I'll have to cut my nail. So they brought all the clippers and all those things. Then they cut Swamiji's toenails. Then, then they said, Swamiji, if you go to a manicure or pedicure, you will have to give some money. Why now you give some money? Swamiji said, well, if you would touch the cloth of the Pope, how much would you pay? <laughs> <laughs> that money you give to me. <laughs> oh, Swamiji, you know. If a, if a Catholic goes and touches the cloth of the hand or the shakes on the hand of the Pope, how much you will give? And you touch a holy person, now you give. <laughs> Very human. <laughs> how shall you love these people? June 22nd, 1941. Swamiji had marvelous patience with all of us, Mrs. Hansborough declared. He made a great effort to do something for us. He took away from away any feeling on our part that he was superior to us. 
He pays a good deal of attention to children when he met them privately, she continued. There is an old stable in the vacant lot next to our home in Los Angeles where Swamiji used to sit with the children and look at their picture book. He particularly enjoyed Alice in Wonderland and through the looking glass. He said they were absolutely typical in their portrayal of the processes of the human mind. He said that Lewis Carroll had some kind of intuition that his that his was not an ordinary mind to have written this book. Later, Mrs. Hansborough spoke of an episode also in their home in Los Angeles involving a woman portrait painter who was determined to do a portrait of Swamiji. She had approached him several times after meetings, but Swamiji had always declined. One day the woman came to our home, Mrs. Hansborough said, and asked me if I would help her by letting her sketch him unawares. Somehow Swamiji sensed her presence and called me. You get that woman out of here or I will leave. He told me, needless to say, I saw her to the door. <laughs> Anyhow, oh my God. So I told you. Huh? You meant last time you were going to tell the story of Sister Lalita touching Swamiji? And yeah, what happened? One day, Parasi have seen that staircase on the upstairs of the passenger house. <coughs> Swamiji was coming down and Sister Lolita was Swamiji's back. And all of a sudden, she, she, her foot slipped and she put her two hands on Swamiji's shoulder. How old was she? Huh? How old was she at that time? I don't know, she's a widow, you know, her husband, son was 17 years old. She must be in her maybe 50s or oh, something. Then she got a shock. And before Shamiji left Pasajena house, he left a pipe, Shamiji's pipe, on the mantel place. So one day, Sister Lolita has terrible headache, unbearable headache. So unconsciously, she took this pipe of that Swamiji and just rubbing that pipe on his forehead. And he heard a voice, she heard a voice. Madam, is the pain too, is the pain too much? Immediately, her pain disappeared. Pain left. This woman, her son died, Ralph died from a car accident or something like that, and felt very lonely. Showing Prabhupada at that time was in Portland. She asked her, asked him, you come to Los Angeles and start center in my home. That your Hollywood bookshop you see, that is called, we call it Greenhouse. A greenhouse, that living room, that was the lecture hall. And the right side corner of the living room, that is the shrine. And few rooms are there. That was the first Vedanta Society in Los Angeles in 1930. Then now Vedanta Society grew. But my sister Lolita, do you know, 
when they are tossed by these great souls, what happened? She used to meditate. She, she went to India in 1937. I think she died in 1949. She used to go to the shrine and bow down to the, she bowed down to Sri Ramakrishna. Maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes, she would not lift her head. And other devotees, they bowed down and they lifted their heads. Then somebody asked, Sister, why do you keep your head such a long time? Until I see the light, I cannot lift my head. I must see the light. You people are so lucky, the moment you put your head, you see the light. (laughs) How these people's lives are changed by the touch of Swami's All right, thank you. (laughs) Next two Saturdays there will be satsang. But anyhow, I had a desire truly speaking to... I gave a lecture on this in in St. Louis. I thought that you people should know about Swamiji a little bit. All right.